Good evening, everyone. It's about time for us to begin, if you will. Uh, take a seat. We'll get started. Welcome to any visitors that we have. Uh, you're our guest. Please stay around and let us get to know you a little bit better and welcome you personally. Tonight, uh, Kevin Harvey has the reading and the prayer, and Mike Williams has closing prayer, and Chris will be delivering the lesson. If you will, please stand and let's uh, turn number 732. 732. We will sing all verses except the third one. We praise thee, O God, for the Son of thy love, Next song is number 460. Chris's lesson tonight is on prayer. So our next rest of our song will be concerning that topic. <clears throat>
Kevin. Scripture reading is taken from 2 Samuel 7, uh, verses 18 through 21. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 18 through 21. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family, that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, O sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. Is this your unusual way of dealing with man, O sovereign Lord? What, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and have made it known to your servant. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, as we come to you once again today, Father, we're truly thankful for everything that you bless us with in this life. Father, we're so thankful for another day of life and for all the things you bless us with, all of our material needs, Father, that you bless us with each and every day. Father, we pray that you'll continue to be with the church here at Rome, continue to bless the deacons and elders and the good work that they do. Let them know that their work is not in vain, Father. Pray that you'll continue to be with all the Bible teachers, Father. Let them know that their work's not in vain. Teach us and teach the children, Father. Pray that you'll be with the preschool, Father, that you'll continue to bless all of that effort that's being put forth and all the good works that's being done through that. Father, we pray for all those that are on the sick list. We pray especially for Hilda, Father, that you'll be with her. Help her to get better, Father, and, and to be back with us. Pray that you'll continue to be with all those, Father, that are on the sick list that have cancers, heart problems, or whatever, Father. You know each and every one of them, and you know what their needs are. That you would bless them and bless the doctors and help them to get better, if it be thy will. Continue to bless all those, Father, that take care of of those people, Father, whether it be our moms or dads, brothers and sisters or whatever, Father. Father, most of all, we pray for our shortcomings, that you'll help us to be better people, help us to be the standard, help us to make this world a better place to live, and forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Song of invitation, if you're using books, will be number 613. 613. Our next song will be number uh, 586. 586. I've been here eight years, but from time to time I may sing a song that you may not be familiar with, and I'm not aware that you're not familiar. But all these songs tonight have uh, several verses, at, or they are very short and uh, easy to learn. So we can do that. Softly now the
Good evening. We are talking through uh, some aspects of our worship on Sunday nights now. Uh, we've, we've covered uh, singing, and uh, tonight we're covering prayer. Uh, so we're looking forward to, to that. Prayer is uh, an interesting thing because everyone knows how to do it, including the disciples, but there still apparently was room left for growth, at least when they came to Jesus in Matthew 6. They, taught, they said, teach us how to pray. And so they saw something significant. Uh, James chapter 5, he reminds us of Elijah. And Elijah prayed and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah prayed and it immediately rained. Um, so there is incredible power in prayer. And that is just as true today as it was in the first century when James wrote those words about Elijah. So there's some things that we need to think through as it regards to prayer. And I think maybe one of the first things we need to think through is our own insignificance as we encounter God. We need to have a right view of who He is, but we also need to have a right view of who we are. Flip over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is, uh, this is kind of where we're going to start. And this passage will serve as, um, as the text uh, for a lot of what we're trying to say tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 7. You know, posture in prayer doesn't matter all that much. Um, we know and have examples of a variety of different postures that biblical men and women were in while they prayed and they were pleasing to God. At least God answers their prayers. Um, we know in, uh, in Revelation 19 verse 4 that the holy um, beings there, uh, the, the, the angelic hosts there, prostrate themselves. They lay face down as they worship and as they pray to him. Uh, we're familiar with Solomon on his knees in 1 Kings as he's dedicating the temple. He is on his knees with his hands outstretched, beseeching God's blessings on this upcoming temple. And that's, that's really the context that we walk into here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. David is being refused to be able to build that temple. We'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, we're also familiar, of course, that, that Hannah, when she was praying, stood up to pray. And so Job does the exact same thing. There's, there's not a specific posture that one needs to be in as we pray. He hasn't defined what that posture ought to be. But he has defined a mindset in which we do metaphorically, figuratively stand. Humility, right? We are supposed to come to him in humility. And that's the reason we, we bow our heads when we pray. That's the reason Solomon was on his knees. That's the, way, that's the reason the angelic hosts were face down. That's the reason Hannah was most likely looking to heaven. This is 
a humility aspect. And so it doesn't matter so much physically where you're standing, but it matters where your heart is standing. It matters what mindset you're approaching prayer in. Uh, and so as we think through prayer tonight, one of the first things we need to remind ourselves of is that of humility. We need to be humble. Actually, before we get into 2 Samuel, let's, let's flip over to Psalms. Psalm chapter 8. Let me take you to a couple of verses here that kind of just set the scene for us. Verses 3 through 4. Psalm 8, verse 3 says, this is actually David speaking. In verse 3, he says, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? David is taking a moment to just be amazed that God wants to talk to us. Maybe, maybe that's the very first thought that crosses our minds, at least it should cross our minds, as we come to him in prayers. Why are you interested in a relationship with, with me? Over the last couple of days, we, we've taken some time, my family has taken some time, uh, in the, in, uh, toward the, right before we go to bed, we go outside and we put a blanket on the ground and uh, we look up at the stars. We're looking for shooting stars. And I guess the, uh, the pinnacle was last night when you were supposed to see the most stars for like the next 500 years or something. It's supposed to be a really long time. But as I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm kind of watching the planets, and there's one that's twinkling at, at, at you. And that, that, I think that's Betelgeuse. And if you, you go back, and this is where I nerd out, but you go back and you start trying to study some of these stars and how vast they are and how far away they are. Go back and do some research on Betelgeuse. You could fit something like 90 millionths of our suns inside of Betelgeuse. And so when you're sitting there looking at this star that's, I mean, it's not even the size of your fingernail, uh, and it's just in there twinkling at you, you're astounded that the God who breathed out that star and all the other stars around it wants to have a relationship with me, wants to listen to what I have to say. And you echo David's words here in, in Psalm chapter 8, and just, my mind's blown that, why? Why would you want to know what's going on with me? Why would you be mindful of me? Why would you care for me? That's a, an appropriate mindset to be in, certainly. Look in Luke chapter 18. We find um, a little bit of a two different outlooks on this topic in Luke chapter 18. Two guys, one coming from a very prideful spot, one coming from a very humble position. And you find this is a parable Jesus tells, but you find um, these two men and how they are approaching God and which one is heard, which one is extolled because of how they approach him. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That, that's important, right? So automatically, just off the, off the cuff, we already understand this parable is going to be about 
humility, and pride. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So you're familiar, of course, with the Pharisees. They are this super religious sect uh, of people, of Jews, uh, living here in the first century. They are the teachers. They are the leaders of Judaism. Here's this guy puffing at his chest. So happy that he's not like this poor tax collector, but God doesn't hear him. He's not pleased by that kind of attitude. Verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off, he's not standing in the temple like the Pharisee. I don't, I don't know how close they are, but I'm sure the Pharisee is standing just right in the middle. And he's probably looking way over there and seeing the tax collector because he's, he's not allowed inside the temple. He's not allowed in the grounds there. Because of his occupation, because of what he's given up, he's considered a, a traitor, a Benedict Arnold. And so this guy's standing really far away. He would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't have the right words. Maybe he didn't even know all of the laws, but he's pleading for mercy in this humble estate. In verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, just as if... I'd never sin. Justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so as we approach a holy God in prayer, one of the things that we need to have on the forefront of our mind is humility. And every time we bow our heads, because it's, it's almost uh, a knee-jerk reaction. When, when someone says, let us pray, I mean, your head automatically goes down. Think about that. Allow that to be a reminder for you next time that you're humbling yourself physically, humbling yourself, but also emotionally, spiritually, figuratively, metaphorically. I'm humbling myself before the God who made everything and wants to have relationship with me. That's, I think, maybe the first thing that we need to think through as we begin our prayers. But the next thing, we're finally ready for 2 Samuel 7. Go ahead and flip back there. And you may want to get a, a pencil because there's something interesting going on here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. You may have heard it as, as Kevin was reading it for us. I want to read it for you again. I want you to notice, underline, highlight, take note of how many times David calls himself a servant in these two verses. Nine times. I don't want to ruin the surprise for you, but it's nine. That's an extravagant amount. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me thus far? He's espousing the exact same idea here as he did in Psalm 8. When he looked up at the heavens, he thought, Why would you care about what's going on with me? Why would you be mindful of me? He's saying the exact same thing here. But do you know what's happened? Why is he in this mindset right now? Previously, in, in the rest of the beginning of 2 Samuel chapter 7, you find David making a promise to God. He's got an idea, and his idea is a good idea. In fact, he's already consulted one of God's men, Nathan the prophet, and Nathan says, good idea. And so his idea is he wants to build God a house. David kind of looks around at his 
at his, uh, his kingdom. And he says, well, I've got this really nice house that I'm living in. And it's very opulent and, and it's really nice. But I look over at God's, where God lives, and it's, it's a tent that we've had since Moses. For the last 400 years, this tent's been there. And it hasn't had any updates. And, and it, it's just a tent. God deserves something much more opulent than my house. Something much nicer than my house. So I'm going to do that for him. What he wants is a good thing, right? His heart is in the right place. He wants to honor God. And so when Nathan sees that, he says, yes, let's do this thing. But God has different plans. And so he appears to Nathan in a vision that night. And he tells him, "Don't David's not going to be the one who builds my house for me. It's going to be his boy. Solomon's going to build the house. But here's what I'm going to do for David. And so Nathan takes the word back to David, and he gives God's words to David. One the thing that God is going to do for David is he's not going to allow David to build a house for him, but God's going to build a house for David. It's beautiful how, how he says that, right? You're not going to be allowed to build a house for me, but I'm going to build your house, and your descendants are going to be blessed. And we know that that not only is the, Ju uh, the, the, the Davidic kings that come through his line, a child of David would always sit on the throne of Israel up until the exile. But even much more important than that, Jesus will come through this lineage. And so that's why David's line will be blessed. That's why that's the house that God is talking about. David building, really, that, that God builds through David. You're in it. The church, right? And, and the, the ramifications of what God is trying to do through David here is phenomenal. He says, David, you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. And Jesus is going to come through that dynasty. When David hears that, his knee-jerk reaction, the first words out of his mouth are, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servants. Remember, we're underlining and taking note of servants. You also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O oh Lord God. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant. There it is again. O oh Lord God, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. And he keeps on going. And it's just servant, servant, servant. Who is David to God? He is his, he's his servant. David completely understands his role in God's kingdom. He is insignificant, but God wants to be a part of his life. And so that gives David significance. Look even beyond that, though. David knows he's insignificant, but he also knows he's got a, God, he's got a part in God's plan. David's got a part in God's plan, and he sees it. Look here, look again in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7. After the promise has been made to David that God's going to build his dynasty, that God's going to build his house, instead of David being allowed to build God's house, God's going to build David's dynasty, his house. David takes note of this and kind of was, says something along the lines of, this is incredible that you're going to give this responsibility, this blessing to me. 
He's 100% aware that he's got a role in fulfilling this prayer. We've got a role in fulfilling our prayers and the prayers of those around us. You remember Esther? Esther's story is another one that's just really poignant, uh, really beautiful. But she comes out of slavery. She is in exile. She's a Jewish woman already on the outs, right? But as an exile in a foreign country, she has nothing going for her. But she's a child of the king. So he works things out. He orchestrates things so that she comes to this position of power at the exact same time that the adversary, a guy named Haman in this context, wants to eradicate God's people. Do you remember what happens when Mordecai, uh, Esther's uncle, comes to her and, she, and he says, and he tells her about the plot, uh, Haman's going to eradicate, he's going to have all the Jewish people killed. Esther, what can I do? Do you remember what Mordecai's words to her were? Maybe you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Maybe you're praying for something right now that you can have a part in fulfilling that prayer. Maybe there's something. Maybe God's doing something that you can fulfill that role. We are insignificant and that's one of the things we need to remember we need to come to him humbly but at the same time realize that we have a role to play in his kingdom we can't devalue that thought flip with me over to first corinthians chapter three let me show you a couple times when this happens in scripture first corinthians chapter three paul writes to the corinthian congregation they've got all kinds of troubles and they are um Fighting over who's basically who's the greatest teacher, it sounds like. And one will follow this guy and one will follow this guy. And specifically, they're, they're really looking at Paul and Apollos and Peter. And some of them are following Jesus. But listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. There's that word again. Servants. Through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted. Paul said, I, I had a role to play here. You think Paul prayed for the Corinthians? Certainly, right? You think they were praying for each other? Certainly. Paul says, I, I planted. I had a role to play. And Apollos watered. He, he had a role to play too. And he did it. But God is the one who gave the increase. And so neither he who plants nor he who waters is, is anything. We're, we're insignificant. We're, we're humble. But God but only God who gives the growth. And so we each play a role in God's kingdom. And if we're paying attention to what's going on, you might just be the answer to your home prayer, or you might be the answer to someone's prayer around you. Maybe someone around you is praying for an accountability partner, or someone to step in and encourage them, or someone to be a good friend to them. We have a role to play in the kingdom. We have to open our eyes to see that role. Flip back over to Genesis. 
<coughs> Genesis chapter 24. Here's another guy who saw this opportunity he's been given as a doorway that God had opened for him to do something to fulfill this prayer. Abraham has been looking for a wife for Isaac. Abraham's going to die as this servant uh, is in the faraway country, right? As he sends his most trusted servant back to his homeland, back to his father's family to find a wife for his son Isaac. And don't take any of the wives from, from this area, from these Canaanite women. Don't, don't take a wife from them. You go all the way back to my home country and you find a wife for my son, for my father's family. And so this is what this servant does. But he's kind of overwhelmed. He doesn't know anybody there. He doesn't even know Abraham's family. Abraham himself hasn't even seen his family in over 30 years, you would imagine. So he kind of doesn't know what to do. And so he makes this deal with God. Uh, and whoever comes out and offers him water and offers to water his camels as well, that's going to be the one that, that uh, God has chosen to do, uh, to be uh, Isaac's wife. Listen to what he says in Genesis 24, verse 12. The servant says, Ah, and he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Right after that, if you go through and you read the rest of what he says here, this is the beginning of his prayer where he asks for this kind of success. This is, he starts making the deal with God. And then he moves. He starts taking action. He's going to do something to make this happen. We need to be more aware of that when we pray because we just might be the answer to someone else's prayers or even our own prayers. So we need to understand who we are. We need to understand who he is. We also need to be looking for opportunities to help, to fill the role that God's opened up for us final component we're going to talk about tonight, and again, we could talk about a lot of different uh, aspects uh, of prayer. I think praise is an important aspect of prayer. Flip back over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy 9. A lot of times when we pray, it is asking for things. Um, nothing wrong with that. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus teaches these uh, 12 disciples how to pray, he includes aspects of that. He doesn't start there, right? That's interesting. He doesn't start there. He, he kind of ends there. But it's a component of that. But interestingly enough, and you'll find this in his prayer as well, he starts off with praise. Do you remember that? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's Matthew 6, 4, I think. So he starts with prayer, or with praise, in his prayer. And that helps orient our minds right prayer can be difficult and it's certainly a learned task it's something that you learn how to do it's not something you are born knowing how to do it's something that you acclimate yourself to one of the ways that you acclimate yourself to this is praise um, it puts us in the right mindset to approach him in Deuteronomy 9 verse 26 <clears throat> says, And I pray to the Lord, O Lord God, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through, the, through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is Moses speaking. 
he's, he's talking to God. God, at this point, wants to destroy Israel. They have sinned and rebelled one too many times. And God is fed up with their selfishness and their rebellion. Um, and so Moses prays this prayer. But notice what he puts in here. In, in the middle of this prayer, whom you have redeemed through your greatness. Numbers 11 pulls more of this prayer out. It gives us insight into more of what he said. And there's more praise even than that in Numbers 11. As he walks through this prayer, he extols God's name. It's something we need to think about. We need to be focused on praise as we pray. Certainly the first century church was focused on that. Acts chapter 4 recounts for us uh, an episode there when that happened. Acts chapter 4. Back up to verse 23. Peter and John have been uh, released from prison. Verse 23 says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. Basically, stop teaching in the name of the Lord. And Peter said, no, we're not going to do that. And, they, and the chief priests said, okay, there's nothing they can do. Uh, verse 24, he says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord. What are they saying? You are 100% in charge. Completely and totally in charge. Now, that's an interesting claim at this point. Because things look pretty dark for the church, right? James is uh, just about to be beheaded. Um, persecution is heating up for the early church. But here they're saying Yahweh is 100% in charge. Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against his Lord and against his anointed. And, and they kind of go on there. But you see in that praise, they were stopping to take account of who God really is. You're the creator of heaven and earth and nobody... No matter how much it seems like they're in charge here, nobody supersedes your will. Everything happens because you want it to happen. You are good. You are great. And even if it costs me my life, you're still good and you're still great and I'm still with you. If we can get a hold of that when we pray, our prayer lives will change. And there's nothing for it other than doing it. Think through some of these thoughts. Make sure you remember who you are and who He is. Make sure that you're looking for your role, a part that you can play in God's plan. But also work praise into your prayers. Um, I think just simple things like that, simple tweaks in our prayer life, can make it so much more vibrant. For us. Prayer is not easy. Like we said earlier, it is something that you learn how to do. And it's just doing it that gets you there. 
You're not going to wake up one morning and think, oh, I know how to pray now. It's difficult. You know how I know that? Those 12 good Jewish boys who knew how to pray came up to Jesus when they were my age and said, teach us how to pray. And he did. He didn't ridicule them. He was like, oh, yeah, this, this, is, this is something you need to know how to do. And they learned it. So, so can you. So can I, right? Jesus is, we're told several times that he spent all night in prayer. There's a connection there that you and I need. As life gets hard and as you struggle, you will become more and more dependent on prayer. Figure it out on this side of the struggle so that you don't have to figure it out right in the middle of your storm. Tonight, if you've not been baptized into Christ, that's the very first step of getting into um, His body. It's how you're saved. It's what washes away your sins. Tonight, maybe you've already made that decision, and you just want to be a more integral Christian, one who's more focused on the cross, one who is focused on God and His Word and His will and doing right things. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. Good evening, church family. A couple announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder that uh, this morning we had our special needs contribution. If you'd still like to um, give to that, uh, there's black boxes in the back. Uh, just 
uh, place your money in there, and uh, John will get it. Um, also, a reminder that we're still needing Bible class teachers. Is that right, Connie? Um, we're still needing Bible class teachers and also someone to teach Bible Hour. Uh, new quarter starts in December. Also, CYC registration deadline ends November 27th, so if you haven't done so, please sign your child up on the four-year board. And next Wednesday on the 23rd will be a devotional only. There will be no Bible classes, devotional only. And um, the mission group, they are taking donations on wrapping paper, tape, gift boxes, and gift bags. Um, if you want to help out donate to that, uh, please see Marvin and Chris. Um, all ladies, there will be uh, no Thursday morning class on Thanksgiving. Um, so the next class will be December 1st. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Terry Agner in your prayers. Keep Terry Leap in your prayers. Gary Leap, Steve Rowe, Julie Stevens, Jennifer Baker, Hilda Stevens, and Carolyn Hall. Keep those people in your daily prayers this week. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Number 320, first, second, and fourth verses. Let's pray. Father in heaven, come to you once again, Father, thanking you for all that you give us. We are so thankful, Father, for the opportunity to be here today to worship you, to sing praises to you. And as we enter this week of Thanksgiving, Father, we are thankful for all the many blessings that you have given to us as a church family, to our individual families. And we're mindful of that, Father, but we also know that uh, the greatest blessing that we've received is the promise of salvation through your son, Jesus, and we, we thank you for, for that, for Jesus, for us to be able to remember him today and each and every day, Father. It's our prayer to you, and Father, we uh, are mindful of so many that have been mentioned today that are struggling with various health issues, those who are listed in the 
the bulletin. We continue to ask your blessings upon each one of them. Pray you'll heal them, Father, restore them. And Father, just uh, be with us as we prepare to leave here this evening. We pray that you'll give us safe travels back home and a good night's rest, Father. Forgive us when we fall short and sin against you. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.